so good to hear your voices again. So beautiful to watch us worship together. Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can and get with me to Psalm 133. Um, Psalm 133. Uh, We're looking at a psalm today of unity and uh, we're considering what it looks like to be the church in this unusual season. So I want to take you into Psalm 133 and allow for that to speak into this current moment that we find ourselves in. Psalm 133, let me read it and then we'll pray and get to work. A song of ascents of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray. Lord, right now we commit this time to you. We are grateful that we can gather under your word. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would speak to each of us. You would speak to the individuals that are here at the tree farm and the individuals who are tuning in from home and the individuals who will watch later. Lord, we believe that your word is powerful and effective and that it accomplishes the purposes for which you send it forth. And so we trust in this moment, God, that you would leverage your word for the sake of your church. And we want to be the kind of church that displays your glory in this season and all seasons for, for all ages, Lord. We want to glorify your name. And we pray this all in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So unity, what is it? What is it like? And why does it matter? What is unity? We see in the first verse that unity is something where it's talking about the people of God being able to live together in this way of harmony. It's the people of God having the ability to come together and to see each other and to know each other and then to live in that harmonious relationship together with each other. You see it in verse one. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. In this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, disunity is easy to come by. We see the brokenness and the division in our land. We see it in our society. We see it in churches. We see it even in our own hearts and in our families. We see a division that is happening on every front. And in this moment, I feel that it's very important that we as a church speak into that and step into that so that we can move together in harmony. So, One of the reasons why this is important is because of the response to COVID-19. If there were a spectrum, we would have people on both ends of the spectrum within our church family. People who at this point today are saying, this whole thing, I am so over it. I'm done with mask wearing. I'm done with news talking about this thing. I'm just over it. I've had some of those conversations this morning. On the other end of the spectrum, within our church family, we would also have individuals who continue to have concern and continue to want to do as much as they can to be safe. So we as a church family, we are aiming to create an environment where both of those people can be welcome, where neither of those people would feel embarrassed, but that we would create a culture and an environment where everyone can be a part of a church family and feel that they belong and feel that they are valued. That's what we're talking about today, this idea of unity. And it's important as a church that we would embrace this ideal. 
Not only in response to COVID-19 are we finding this disunity in the division, we're also seeing it on a large scale in our society, especially when we consider politics. And right now we're in a, a year of election and we are moving toward that. And I'm not a predictor of the future, but I would simply looking at the evidence, I would say it's probably going to get worse. That as we move closer to the election season, it's going to get worse. So who, what kind of church are we going to be? How are we going to respond to all of that? How are we going to kind of create something different than the rest of the noise and the rest of the division that we find in the world? I remember when, and I've told this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it, but we went to Nairobi, Kenya in one of their election years. And we actually accidentally planned the trip so that we were landing in Nairobi right when they were declaring the winner of the election. And while we were in the air, one of the, it was a very close race between the two presidential candidates. And one of the individuals, while we were still in the air, declared that he had won the presidential election of Kenya. The other individual um, cried foul and said, no, 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 the counts must have been wrong. And, and in that moment, the nation was divided. And we landed then into a very hostile situation where people were so upset and angry with each other that we had to go into lockdown for the entire time that we were there. That we were able to see off in the distance the slum on fire and we were made aware as people were coming out to the the mission compound, and they were telling us what was happening in the slums there as people in their hatred were, were killing one another. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen in the United States, but I remember thinking naively in that moment, that would never happen in America. But what do we find today when we look at the political discourse of our nation? Such raging hostility, such hatred, such malice, that it's not unthinkable to imagine what it's going to be like when somebody wins and somebody loses this fall. We want to be a church then that can sanely step into this situation and be a countercultural place of peace. A place where unity is something that we enjoy together. Now, I'm not talking about a cheap form of unity, which is uniformity. It's easy to have unity when everyone is the same. When everyone thinks the same and looks the same and talks the same and has the same ideologies, I'm talking about unity in the midst of diversity. Unity without uniformity. I remember reading an article by Stephen Hawthorne and it was a mission article. And he was saying, and it was an article that just stuck with me over the years. He was saying that worship in heaven right now is incomplete. And the reason for it is because until every culture has an appropriate cultural representation of worship in heaven. The glory of God is not fully known yet. And he was drawing that from Revelation and the picture that we see of the courtroom of heaven as every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are coming together around the throne and around the lamb and declaring praise of him. We want to be the kind of church that embraces that diversity of expressions and recognizes that we all come together under the banner of Christ that we can have different opinions on very significant and important topics, but we are a church family. And that comes first. And our allegiance to Christ just overrules every other allegiance we might have. That's the kind of church that I think the world needs right now. That's the kind of church I'm inviting you to be a part of. I want to be the kind of church that has <clears throat> unity. Don Carson, a professor, he puts it like this, and we'll 
put the words up on the screen as well. He says, ideally, the church itself is not, it's not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and they owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they've been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says and he commands them to love one another. In light of this, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. We want to be the kind of people who come under the banner of Jesus Christ and we love each other well. And we experience that goodness and that pleasantness of the people of God living together in unity. One of the ways that I've described this before, and I'm not sure if you'll find it helpful and I'm not sure if you'll be able to see this either, but we talk about different spheres of priority. And I've, I've shown this in a newcomer's lunch and I've talked with many of you guys about this before, but when we think about where we want to draw a dividing line, we want to be very careful about how we do that. That there are different circles of priorities that within the, the very center, there's kind of essential stuff or what we might call mere Christianity. And it's there that we find Jesus himself. It's there that we find the basics of Christianity that we're saved by faith in him. We find who God is, a God who reveals himself as three persons in one. We find the revelation of scripture being the way that we come to know God. We find these essentials there in that first circle. But then as you expand that out, you find other things. You find convictions. We want to be people who have convictions that are informed by the scriptures, that we want to have clear teaching that tells us how we ought to behave and how we ought to live in the world. And that's very important. But we want to be careful about where we draw the line. Because if we make some of our convictions essential things, we actually disclude some of the people within our community. We actually make the community inaccessible. We've, we're a non-denominational church, but we've got people from all kinds of different denominational backgrounds with their convictions. If we want to say you have to hold all of these identical convictions, some of us wouldn't be here. So we need to be careful about how hard we draw our lines. Beyond that, we have preferences. We have things that we want. I prefer not to wear a mask when I'm at church. I prefer that I know the songs when we're, when we're singing together. I prefer all these different things. And that's important, but that's not something that we should divide ourselves over. In my mind, that would be a silly thing, a petty thing to divide over. Beyond that, we have other things as well. I bring this up simply to say, when we think about these issues, we need to be very, very careful about where we draw the lines for, for our unity. What are the things that we are going to hold together as a church family? W what hills are we going to die on together? What are we going to care deeply about? And let's make sure that we don't accidentally import some unnecessary things into items of first importance. I've been thinking about how to say this all week, and I will offend, and I'm aware of that. I'm not doing that to be unnecessarily harmful, but I think that this is a moment where we have to speak about hard things. Some of us have placed our politics in matters of first importance. We have allowed our political opinions to become matters of first importance. And, and some of us would rather lock arms with somebody who would vote the same as us as opposed to somebody who's a brother or sister in Christ. That, my friends, is idolatry. If you would rather be with somebody who votes the same as you than somebody who shares a salvation in Jesus Christ, that is wrong. 
That's exactly what the apostle Paul had to do to Peter when he began to make it very clear that the Gentiles were not in the same level as those who were Jewish believers. And Paul had to rebuke him to his face. And in moments like this, we need those hard words of truth that we want to be a church where we are creating this safe environment for people to come from all different persuasions and not feel that they would be excluded because they don't think the exact same as us. Let's be a church that pursues unity. Secondly, what is it like? Unity is such a beautiful thing. It's so good. It's so pleasant that it's described in a poetic way. There are two analogies given here and they help us to understand how good and pleasant unity can be. The first is the analogy of anointing oil. Let's read it. It's in verse two. It says, unity, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. You lost me, dude. Right? We read about oil and beards and who's Aaron. This is talking about the priesthood. The very first priest is Aaron. And Aaron had this, uh, Aaron and his sons become the priests and then all of their descendants become priests. Priests are the people who communicate God to the world, who teach the things of God and who minister on behalf of the people to God and, and back toward the people as well. Now, when they were installed in the priesthood, there was a lot of things they had to do. They had to wear special clothes. They had to do special religious activities. But one of the things that they did was there was, a, there was an oil that was mixed by a perfumer and it was unique to this specific role of anointing the priesthood. Couldn't be used for anything else, but this oil then was poured on Aaron and on his sons and it flowed down over them and it, it set them apart for the ministry that they were going to do. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a fragrance. It smelled good. The other day I, was, I took a shower and I put on cologne and I came out and my five-year-old Harrison, he goes, mmm, dad, you smell like a pool. And he said that not because I wear pool water cologne, but he said that because in his mind, he smelt something and then he just immediately associated it with one of the coolest things that he's aware of. When, when we think about the unity of the people of God, it is so good that it has a fragrance about it, if you will. That it ought to be attractive to us. That it actually ought to magnetize people toward this community because in a community where it's safe, in a community where there's unity, in a community where we can dwell together in harmony, that's a beautiful thing. Wouldn't you want to be the kind of church where people look at us and they look at every other option that's available out there in the hostile world. And they say, I want to be with them. This is a place where I could be safe. This is a place where I could belong. This is a place where I could come together with them and I could be a part of that. I could be a part of this unified community under the banner of Christ. It's also like dew from heaven. Look at the end of verse, well, the beginning of verse three, it says, it is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So in the Holy Lands, it is a desertous area. It, it's a desert wilderness. And so they would have to take their trips to the Holy Land, to Jerusalem, for all of these different religious festivities. And, and they would march and they would go by this Mount Hermon. And one of the features about Mount Hermon is that it was elevated and it actually had dew and precipitation, whereas everything else was kind of arid. This was 
well-watered and well-vegetated. And so they'd look at it and they'd go, man, that is beautiful. They'd be making this trek and it'd be hot. I know some of you guys are hot right now. Uh, maybe next week we bring fans or something or shade or whatever we need. But some of us are kind of warm right now and they'd be marching on their way to Jerusalem. And then they'd look over at Mount Hermon and they'd go, that's what unity is like. You see the pleasantness. Do you see the, the vegetation there, the beauty? Do you see all of the greenery there on Mount Hermon? That's what being unified looks like. It is visibly attractive. I want to be the kind of church that people kind of peek into what we're doing. They peek into the relationships that we have and the vibe that we have when we come together and they say, I'm into that. I dig that. I want to be a part of that because that looks beautiful. Let's be that kind of church. And this is how Willem van Gimmeren puts it. He says, regardless of how harsh the conditions of the pilgrimage, life or nature, the fellowship of the brotherhood of God's people is refreshing. Let's be refreshing as a church family. Thirdly, why it matters. Why does unity matter? It matters because it actually is the sphere of God's blessing. It's the place of God's blessing. Look at verse three. For there, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's in this place where God is giving us his unity that we are experiencing the blessing of God. If you look at the, at the verses again, notice one of the recurring kind of words or ideas. It's coming down. Oil's coming down. It's flowing down. It's going down the beard, down the collar. The dew is coming down. Here's what it's saying. Unity isn't something that we just say, hey, I'm going to like you even though I don't like you. We're not just going to kind of muster this thing up, but it's actually a gift of God that it comes down from heaven, that God bestows it upon us and we receive it then very gladly. Derek Kidner in his commentary, he says, true unity, like all good gifts, is from above, bestowed rather than contrived, a blessing far more than an achievement. The blessing that God is willing to place on his church, on the people of God, is that we can come together under the banner of Jesus Christ and we can find unity there. And when we live in that unity, we experience more and more of the blessing of God. Now, this is not just a proof text in the Bible. This isn't just kind of a cute little psalm that we go, yeah, 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 unity, that shows up in the Old Testament. It's really an important theme throughout. When Jesus prayed for his disciples and the, the future followers of his in John 17, he made this a big deal. In John 17, verses 20 to 23, he was praying for them and he's saying, God, I'm praying for, for these followers of mine and for those who will come after and I'm praying that you would make them one. I'm praying that you would give them the gift of this unity. He puts it like this in verse 23. I, Jesus, in them and you, God the Father, in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Jesus himself is indicating that unity is a priority of his. He wants us to be together. He wants us to be unified in the way that we relate with one another. It's a prayer of Jesus for us, for his church, for the bride. And when we do it, it actually says that the world will know that we are loved by him. The way that we relate to each other is a really, really big deal. Francis Schaeffer, he his entire ministry really revolved around this concept that Christians are a people of love and it is an evidence of the reality of our faith. We need to be a people who are living out our faith in real time 
And the way that people can experience that is in the beauty of our relationships with one another. We want to be a church that is unified. It's a blessing of God. It's given to us from him. It's in the realm of that blessing where we experience more and more of him. And it also helps us to understand that it's a gospel blessing. When we think about what God is doing, it tells us here that this is the place where the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. It's in this realm of the community of faith being unified together where Jesus Christ is made known and we place our faith in him and receive salvation for the forgiveness of our sins. We experience his righteousness being gifted to us. We experience the gift of eternal life, life forevermore. It is a gospel reality that we want to embrace. So church family, can we please be a place of unity? Can we be a people who are able to look at each other with kindness and gentleness and compassion and love and pray down God's blessing on us saying, God, would you help us to lock arms together? Help us to be a community that loves each other well, a community that's unified around our Lord and our Savior and help us to be this counter-cultural, beautiful reality that other people could look at and say, it's there that I want to be because their Savior, I want him to be my Savior. So let's pray right now. Lord, would you pour this blessing out on us? Would you let it come down on us? Pouring over us, filling us, help us to experience the blessing of unity. The goodness and the pleasantness of it. Help us to prioritize it, God, in this moment. That we would be not only praying for it, but also thinking through what, what steps we can take to move toward other people. What conversations need to be had to ensure that the relationship is preserved. Jesus, you died for your people and, and they're different. And we celebrate that differentness. But would you, by your blood, draw us to one another and help us to experience that beautiful unity. In Jesus' name, amen.